Hello, and welcome to the Postgrad Anime Club podcast. As always, here at the club, we watch and review anime in the hopes that we can help improve your anime viewing experience by guiding you to the good shows, the bad shows, and everything in between. I'm your host, Sander. Joining with me today are Elf. Sup? Doc. Good to see you again. And Andy. Yo. Today's anime of choice is Satoshi Kon's Paranoia Agent. The series was produced by Studio Madhouse and consists of 13 episodes, with its original run airing between February 2nd, 2004 and May 18th, 2004. The series was directed, of course, by Satoshi Kon, who you, our dear listeners, will remember as being the director of the work Perfect Blue, which was previously reviewed on episode 3 of our podcast. Please, shameless plug, go give that a listen. Kon also being known for his other works, such as Tokyo Godfathers, Paprika, and Millennium Actress. This series had a variety of storyboard artists, episode directors, animation supervisors, and background directors, though many more than Space Dandy, so we will direct you to look at the official sources for a full breakdown of those as they change episode by episode, and we would be here for another five minutes with me trying to explain every single one. The episodes were written by Seishi Minakami, Best known for their writing on series such as Vatican Miracle Examiner, A Certain Scientific Railgun. Do not ask us to review any of that. We will not know where to start, and we do not want to start that road. That's a long and painful road to go down. Number six, and surprisingly a couple episodes of Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. As always, this is a review, so there will be quite a few major spoilers mentioned throughout the podcast. So if you have not seen the show, feel free to pause the podcast and come back and listen to our review. The show follows Tsukiko Sagi, a character designer who developed the concept of Moromi, a pink dog mascot character that skyrockets into popularity. She is the first victim of Little Slugger, an assailant who attacks people while on roller skates with a golden baseball bat. The rest of the series revolves around its cast of interconnected characters as each are connected to the Little Slugger mystery and are affected by his sudden appearance in different ways. Now, before we go any further, who watched the show subbed? And who watched the show dubbed? I watched it English dubbed. English dubbed as well and enjoyed it for the most part. Doc? I watched it uh, English sub. I enjoy it. And for the record, it is Shonen Bat. And Andy? I watched it English dubbed. I went back and watched a few episodes of the English subbed. And I I have to say, English dubbed is, was pro- is probably the way to experience this show. Which episodes did you watch English uh, sub, by the way? Just out of curiosity. The last two episodes. Um, episode three, Double Lips. That was one of my favorites. And uh, the Suicide Pact episode, the episode ha- number of which is Escaping It. Nine, I think? Happy, Happy Family Planning. Eight. eight. Episode eight, eight is, uh, Happy eight. Family Planning. Yeah. That Suicide is, is badass. It is... I'll, I'll get into it later, but yeah, the tone we'll, we'll of that episode is wow. Yeah. In terms of moving forward to initial reactions, you can kind of tell this is a lot of unused ideas from, like, Cohn just had, hey, I have all these unused ideas. I need somewhere to put them. Let's make a series and let me put all these unique ideas and kind of make sense as best I can with them. Because it's obviously, you know, we go from something like Perfect Blue which was very coherent, very tight, because it had to be a short film which wrapped up, to these very interconnected but standalone episodes. I enjoyed that factor. This is also not a show for me personally, um, and I'm not a person who would say I'm a Satoshi Kon stan uh, in and of themselves. But, oh, what were your initial reactions? Throughout the entire course of watching this show, I was constantly torn between whether or not this was a piece of genius art or pretentious wank, and I'm going to draw a fine middle line and say that it is fine wank. It is perfectly done, artistic wank, a director and writer just throwing everything at the wall and knowing something will stick. Because they're just that great. So people will naturally like it. Because, ooh, look, I'm mysterious and psychological. There's a dog. Here's a kid with a baseball bat. The entire world's about to end because of a puppy. And now the ending is just going to be end of Evangelion for some reason. Ta-da! Aren't I genius? It's... This show just 
I don't, I don't even want to say that it bites off more than it can chew, because that would imply that it knew what it was going to chew in the first place. Elf, question for you. What did you think of Maromi? I did not like that that puppy character design. It just, nothing sat right with me. I'm not sure if it was the way it was supposed to be drawn that way, or it was came out, supposed to come off as creepy, but I just found the whole dog creepy. It's yeah, I, I would say it's... I mean, I, I get it, it. It's a design that's supposed to be in the show as like this is what people in the show like, but it, it comes. It gets to that problem of sometimes when creators are creating something that fits into the world of a show, it doesn't capture the attention of the audience enough. So that while we might be th- we might we can observe that oh these people in the show think this is a cute dog. I never for a second thought oh this is a cute design or this is a nice design or I like this no. It, which I, to me is just part of the broader problem of what I think is honestly lazy animation within the show. I think that there was not a lot of effort put into actually making any of the any of the ideas in the show really stick or come through because I, I think we just sort of expected like, oh, you'll get what we're going for. It's not about you know the actual like drawings. It's not about the it, it's about the story and it's about the world. It's about the ideas and not a lot of effort is really put into making the show look all that good or appear all that interesting. That's fair. Doc, what was your initial reaction to the show? And and the puppy. And the puppy. <laughs> uh, okay, okay. okay. So twofold. Gotcha. Yes. Well, the show... I feel a bit blue-balled <laughs> by the show, I have to admit. This is why we have explicit content on the <laughs> podcast, people. <laughs> Wank. Blue-ball. Okay. <laughs> so... Just coming at this from someone who really does enjoy, you know, the psychological, kind of paranormal getting into my brain and making me really kind of think about these characters and what they're going through, it felt, they felt flat. And it disappointed me. I, I could understand the basic concept of what Cone was going for. But it could have been said either in a more interesting way, or just come right out and just got to the point. After episode 7, it felt pedantic. And there were still six more episodes to go. And by the time like 9 and 10, 11 rolled around, I was sitting there just waiting. Okay, how are they going to pull this together? How is they going to finally end it? Is it going to be even... (laughs) Yeah. Is it even going to end? And we get the ending, episode 13, and I was still left unfulfilled. You know, there was an ending, but it was also, like Elf said, it's an ending, but it isn't an ending, because these things never end. Ha <laughs> ha, I'm so brilliant. Look upon my genius. All right, Cone, you bring it back. Bring it back, bud. <laughs> I felt like... I either it was Cone and his team of slaves, I mean writers, just throwing stuff at a wall and saying it's gonna stick because I'm brilliant, or Cone just trying to string everything together like a madman in front of a, a conspiracy theory kind of board and saying that these strings exist, but they kind of don't. I don't know. I, I felt a little disappointed by the show. It's not a bad one, it's just a disappointment. As for the dog, eh, I'm not a fan of pink, so. <laughs> you heard it here not, first, Not, not my style. You heard it here first. Pink is not Doc's color. It's not, not my color. Moving on to you, Andy, I believe you have different impressions than the other two, but also, I did want to throw in another question in there for you. Do you think the show ultimately... As kind of you move throughout the episodes, you could feel other hands kind of dipping into the pot. Obviously, with the animation style, yes, but kind of with that story writing, do you think that changed how you viewed it? Not to dive too deeply into that, as we'll get into that later, but just another thought question. Of course, the puppy question. You cannot escape the puppy question either. Whew. Well. (laughs) Just three fastballs around your face. As a shameless Satoshi Kon fanboy, I hate you all. (laughs) um i thought it was absolutely brilliant but to be more serious okay 
I liked Maromi. It was cre- Maromi was creepy cute, and I thought its character design fit the part. It's basically a Hello Kitty surrogate. It's it's a Hello Kitty surrogate to like cranked up to ten that captures the entire like obsession of the populace and then fuels this paranormal delusion that becomes the sort of myth of Lil Slugger, aka Shonen Bat. I actually really liked I thought Lil Slugger is a great translation for Shonen Bat because not everyone knows what the genre of Shonen is. And Lil Slugger I feel like what like Lil Kids Baseball, there's like a brand or something called like Lil Slugger or something. I, I thought that was really good writing. Um definitely well, I went into the show looking really looking forward to watching it, not because I, not just because I love Sakoshi Kon's style and works in general, but it was a, a show that when it was airing on Cartoon Network, I only saw episodes here and there, and I never actually saw it start to finish in its completion. And I had I have a close friend who regards Paranormal Agent, uh, Paranoia Agent, as one of his favorite shows, and we actually watched a few episodes together. Um, when I was watching this for the podcast. Yes, there was a lot of hands touching it. I think Satoshi Kon let, let a lot of people sort of throw their style into each episode, and I don't think he had the most... He didn't have, like, the closest narrative control over every aspect, but he definitely threw in these ideas, which he says in interviews he's been wanting to use and had removed from his previous works because they didn't fit. So I definitely agree with the sort of jumbled sort of maybe not the most coherent overall story here and there, but the, the way the narrative went through these sort of character vignettes episode to episode with supporting characters in the previous episode, becoming the main characters in the subsequent one, I thought was really brilliant and a very uh, interesting way to do things. Uh, I, I, I had an easy time watching this show. I just really loved it. I also think... I, I, I've mentioned him before on this podcast, but if you're used to David Lynch's work, then I think your enjoyment of this and accepting of stuff that doesn't quite get explained and maybe is there an actual explanation for this detail or what is this weirdness that's happening on screen? If you're used to that about David Lynch, then this, this uh, show is a lot more easy to digest. Fair enough, fair enough. And I like how you, right off the bat, Got to the dog question. Um, random question before we move on to the next session. Was, was there a mascot, like actual, like person in a Maromi bodysuit mascot at all? I can't remember. I don't think there was. When, when the Hello Kitty comparison got brought up, I was thinking about them. Like, okay, I see all these plush toys. I see the keychains. I see the balloons, but I don't think I saw that. And I don't know if, that would have almost jumped the shark in terms of another level of creepiness, but it just the idea kind of freaked me out a little more. I, I think they stopped right before that line, but not before you know the giant, giant float Maromi's yeah. floating I in mean, the sky. <laughs> I honestly, I, I'd have to go back and watch. I feel like in portraying the obsession with like this, this uh, the character of Maromi, maybe there were some shots on like the news and sort of media mm. of someone in a mascot outfit because That's they fair. they were just sh- the whole the series shows merchandise for like all sorts of merchandise for the Maromi character. Imagine if this was made today and they could they monetize it just as badly as they do mm. other shows. Oh. Ooh, just all the Maromi merch everywhere, but. Oh. Sorry, yep. I just want to say one more. Th- um, this I, I actually I I purchased the Blu-ray for this show, which uh, just came out like within the last month, and it it is. I will say this fi- this anime was made at a time when everything was going from hand animation to digital. Unfortunately, the early digital works I think like Gundam Seed and uh, Elle's favorite that, Gundam. That- yeah, Elle's favorite. Uh, also, favorite uh, being a, a very re- very relative word in this case. <laughs> Vex, Vex, yeah. So stuff like stuff in like the early two thousands range. Uh, another example that sticks out to me is Vampire Hunter D: Bloodlust. Incredible art and animation. It it unfortunately does not translate well to high resolution Blu Ray format. I think, and e- even just streaming. 
the problem is they were animating below 1080p at the time, so the quality of the art looks not as sharp and crisp as you would think, whereas the older hand-drawn stuff does translate a little bit, a lot better, actually, to, uh, to you know, improved, uh, upgraded, high-definition high versions. I paid for a Blu-ray, and it looked like standard definition, and that pissed me off, and, but I also understood why the reason was. But, yeah. buyer, buyer beware, dear podcast listeners. Buyer beware. Um, I, I totally think they could go through and fix up the scenes digitally if they wanted to throw the money into it. Um, yeah, that that's but, the part. If they yeah, want yeah. to throw the money into it. <laughs> to move over to kind of the animation, color palette, bad CG, good CG. Hey, it's not Berserk 2016. All right, that that is the bar as always for animation, well, whether I mean, it's hand-drawn or You can't or say there's bad CG when there is no CG. Exactly. So, there we are. Um, I like... How do I put this? I like how there is that sense of you can't trust what the characters are seeing and how they portray themselves. Um, the the holy warrior of light, Makoto Ka- Kazuka, who sees himself as literally a character from Dragon Quest or Final Fantasy, <laughs> just being like, I'm here, to, I'm here to save everyone. I'm here to stop all this evil. I like those changes in the tone of the animation and the art styles used, and then, you know, going to Detective Kari's uh, world later on, quote-unquote. It almost very much, as someone who's played the Persona games, it felt like going into these different Persona worlds and levels and being like, this is the representation of this person, this is the representation of this person, which I enjoyed, but at the same time, what I would have liked is, in remember how Imperfect Blue... Room, there's the final chase scene with uh, Mima and Rumi, and Rumi's, you know, the manager, she's running after Mima, and in the glass there's that fantasy, totally picturesque uh, version of Mima kind of dancing around, and then here's Rumi kind of like panting as she's chasing after Mima. A lot of those scenes I think could have, I would have enjoyed, and this is just a personal thing for me, I would have enjoyed to see that reality versus the fantasy to kind of see what they're doing. I get it for the episode of, like, say, Kazuka, who's, you know, basically relaying what he did through a video game world, but it's also when it gets, like, that final episode of the black goo of lies and everyone's getting swallowed up by it and then suddenly released... I would have liked the sense of the shift between reality and fantasy is there, but it's not one as sudden and suddenly stops. But two, it kind of does ground me more into what they're actually seeing and doing. Because I think that's when you figure out what actually happened to Tsukiko. I think that's when that tone shift could have happened. And I think it went off a little too much in the fantastical for me as time went on. But Elf, your thoughts on, you know, animation, directorial style, color palette? Uh, and the color palette is fine. It's uh, very realistic, subdued colors, not very bright. I, w- I wouldn't necessarily call it dark. It's just, it's the kind of colors you expect to see in everyday life. They look exactly how you expect colors to look, so I have no problem with the color palette. Animation is generally competent, I guess I would say. There's no real sakuga, there's no scene that really stands. I was like, oh, that was incredible. I can't believe how great that was. Nothing about that really stands out. I mean, that you do have those different breaks towards those different styles, as you mentioned. But I, again, they all just seem like ways of moving the plot forward. They don't s- strike me as anything particularly gripping or interesting in terms of the actual art of color and animation and movement. Uh, in terms of pacing, direction, I guess I could say, getting back to what I said in the beginning, this whole show just feels kind of disjointed and to your point very much feels like it was the scraps of a bunch of different other ideas thrown in a blender reduced down to a paste and then just guzzled aggressively it's it's just so frustrating to watch at certain points like the early episodes where you think you are dealing with something where you're dealing with an actual serial attacker is a fairly straightforward narrative, and it makes sense. Of course, then once you get beyond about episode seven or so, things start to really break down as you get more into this whole idea of uh, everyone's different psychology and being pinned into a corner, and the episodes get more and more abstract in what they refer to. 
And then we get episodes 11 and 12 where suddenly the whole thing is about some dog. And first victim girl is just like, oh, I'm so sad about this. And suddenly everyone's getting devoured by black goo, which apparently in the last scene or so is inferred to have been a literal, actual damaging black goo. And I'm just thinking, okay, this is getting way too... Way too pretentious. Doesn't Ikari say, like, it looks just like after the war or something yeah, like that? Yeah, that's the exact it's, line. I, I get, it's, like, you're just talking about jumping the shark entirely, but we're going from not even, like, a, one woman's own trauma and her struggles to get over it, but how that trauma affects other people and how it can spiral out of control. And that's a fine motif to go with, and that's a fine theme to elaborate upon. But once you start making it as literal as the show points out, you go from the point of allegory to just straight up being ridiculous. <laughs> and I, I, perhaps I just did not have the patience for the artistic message, but I just I just could not get behind the way that the show was directed at a certain point. It just felt more and more as though it was just stringing me along with kind of vague ideas, trying to get some message across that it could have done so much more effectively if it had honestly just stayed straightforward and to the point by trying to act a little more artsy and a little more cerebral ends up just completely derailing its entire purpose. To, to, I guess a question just as a follow-up to that, because I can't remember that destruction. Was it actually attributed to the black goo or was it like a, like a tsunami or hurricane event, like a really bad weather weather activity i can't remember but that's how somewhere in the back of my head i remember someone some analysis saying it was and like their fight and all the damage that was caused went on during that weather event and that's why everything looks so bad but she was just like ikari was just chasing over several episodes because you have the big typhoon around i think it's episode six and seven yeah yeah there but after that you still have episodes like the suicide pack one which is just so odd. Uh, but but that's implied to, I, I guess, happen after the typhoon. So I wouldn't say that. I believe it is directly attributed to the black goo that everyone realizes mm. was a destructive event, which is why I couldn't help but draw the comparison to End of Evangelion, that it takes someone being immersed in a giant vat of liquid to finally come to some manner of self-realization and catharsis, despite horrible destruction to everything around them. LCL. Persevema strikes again. <laughs> What'd you say, Andy? It's it's LCL fluid, but yeah, black black LCL fluid. Oh no, I'm just not talking about the end of Evangelion. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it's LCL fluid. Now we have black LCL fluid, it, limited edition. I th- I think the black fluid actually was like literal, just like darkness or something. Oh my uh, god, we we. Oh my god, it's ooh, Kingdom Hearts, guys. Darkness. Oh, oh my no, god, it's man. Kingdom Hearts. It's the darkness. It's stealing everyone's hearts. This is how we do it. it. Doc, the, the save darkness us. darkness in the hearts of the people. See, because oh, yeah. humans want Marmy, they can't have their pink big head dog. So we're going to riot and destroy everything to get big pink headed big dog balloon. <laughs> it's, a, yes. it's a metaphor for the destructive nature of escapism. You could have sure. done it a lot more effectively. They could have. Yeah. Um, Alright, well, I, I guess if, if we're going to talk a bit about my views on that, oh, oh, color, I had no issues with it. The color palette itself was realistic and subdued, muted, which it needed to be to sort of mesh with the cerebral and emotional visage that Comb was going for. Anything like, really bright, it was kept very minimal, typically to neon. Uh, the only time you saw more autumnal patterns was when uh, the chief was in his headspace, in his town of his own making. That was sort of brighter, uh, and the color palette shifted away from darker to more orange-yellow-red. Other than that, the color palette was fine. I had no serious issue with it. Animation. I liked the attention that was put on to individuals. Backgrounds were kept as backgrounds, and there was clearly defined boundaries between character and the setting in which they were placed. And that focus on character, I think, allowed Cohen and his team to create some really interesting emotive uh, faces and really get across some really intense emotions 
that these characters were feeling. And I think he he and his team did a really good job on that. As for direction, what direction? <laughs> there is no direction. There is only Marumi. And I'll agree with Elf here. It was a little frustrating to watch. I was with the show 100% until episode, I think, 7. Was that when the assistant detective man was like, is that the Hertz episode? Her- that- I think after Hertz, my my patience began to get a little thin. And this is not to say that this is not a good work. It's to say that you need to have patience with it. And that's not always easy to have. I, e- even going up through the whole fantasy idea of how, how to tell a story through this fantasy setting and the escapism into a different headspace and how you rationalize terrible acts. I I was there. I understood that that makes sense. That is a good line to follow. I actually enjoyed it. Once it started getting into this wider spider web of this sprawling and very quickly deteriorating concept of how rumors and lies begin to degrade people around you, Okay, I was I was there, I was following. It it took more and more effort as each episode went on, and as we got filler, which I, I was surprised to see to see filler. It was it was it was harder and harder to hold on to that that spider web until finally it just broke down and the city was engulfed by a black sludge that was definitely not an atomic bomb, despite mushroom cloud in the sky. I don't know. I think one of the one of the concepts that they could have gone down that they didn't necessarily, and I don't know if that was because it was, again, meant to be that implied concept, because I think it was Man- Manawa, the assistant detective, who basically proposed the idea of a cop, or of copycats, which is, mm-hmm. of course, Kazoo kazuka's uh, mo in that instance but then it's almost like they could have gone down that road more as time went on of multiple copycats here and there and I, not just I, adding yeah. on to the lie yeah I, I i think that might have been a little more straightforward and yet maybe more on the nose than perhaps cone would have wanted but you know perhaps following that train of thought where you have this concept that has yet to be proven and then other individuals adopting that concept, mm-hmm. applying it to their own headspace, rationalizing their own, you know, misdeeds through this concept, and then you have a spider of copycats, and then you have your chief and radio man, which by far best superhero 2020 for 2004, <laughs> whichever one you want to look at it. Goggles activate. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, I'm, I'm going to cosplay as him next time I go to a con. You know. 2023. Yeah, 2023. <laughs> but, like, then you maybe have the chief and radio man, Mariwa, then get into Sukiko's, you know, original trauma. That's how they dig out that original space, and then the web falls apart. You can then pick them out for what they are as copycats, and then you all end without having to get really, really cerebral. There is such thing as too much of a good thing, and I think the last half of Paranoia Agent is too much of that good thing. So now, Andy, I I guess to, you know, the same series of questions, but I also want to ask you, have you seen, I, I, sorry, I apologize, I know I've asked you these questions before, and I apologize for forgetting, but Serial Experiments Lane, you've seen oh. it, right? Oh, that's like, that's like a favorite, dude. I, I, yeah. I will I, say I, that this is easier to follow than Lane, especially on a first watch basis, you know what I mean? I my first I watched Lane so young that I didn't know what to make of it, and it sort of like the end of Evangelion. It took a few viewings before I like really fell in love with it. But but I think for you it's kind of I think with that quest line of questioning, it's more so. Do you think that the show, if you could tweak anything about the show to kind of go off that, do you think with at least its art direction and style, do you think you would have liked to pivot it more towards Zero Experiments Lane in? being less, I guess, centered in the real world, if that makes sense? More and kind of like more of an more of that other reality, or do you 
you know, do you think it benefited from the way it was drawn, its color palette, et cetera? Um, um, I'll, I'll say this. I, I, I like the color palette. I really enjoy the not so moe character design. I feel like right after this series, what, what year was this series? Again? This was 2004. So this oh, was before yeah. like the quote unquote start. And then going fully modification of character yeah. design. Yeah, I kind of like this is Moe. this is the chaos injection. <laughs> yeah, this is the art and, uh, and character design style that I really miss. And for uh, the show's animation is what you would expect from a, uh, a a TV series. It's not as high quality as, of course, a feature a, a feature length animated film. But what's one thing that stood out to me was the rollerblading of Little Buster or Shonen Jump. It was incredibly smooth to the point where I'm not sure if it mm. was just rotoscoping a person they filmed on rollerblades, but the uh, the movement is, it, it really does stand out as like, I guess of, of, for a work that doesn't have too much Sakuga, this was probably the main instance of Sakuga in this series. It it Every time they showed Little Slugger rollerblading, it's it's beautifully fluid, so uh, that's that's something that I think viewers should watch out for. My own personal preference, I love in- I love character vignettes, I love short stories, and the series starts out with I think a really cool way of of uh, transitioning through these interconnected character vignettes to tell a story. It's which starts off as a psychological thriller slash mystery. Then, as stuff starts to go very much like a David Lynch film, stuff gets weirder and weirder and weirder, and then it kind of goes crazy at the end. My main issue with this series is that it does not, for me, stick the landing, and I think this is almost in agreement with uh, the rest of you. The episodes do, in a way, jump the shark. I don't know if I would describe it as jumping the shark, but they just throw a lot at you at the end to sort of wrap up the story that which I think could have used one or two more episodes because after it transitions out of the the character vignettes it focuses way too much on okay what the hell is going on with little slugger what what the hell is it and then it goes to this super wacky sort of escaping from reality message collective populace obsessed with Moroni Moromi and having this like weird fa- uh, paranormal phenomenon as a way of escaping from their problems by getting hit on the head with a bat. And the ending, Same. I it's it, it's it, it throws a lot at you. And conceptually, I I kind of like all of it, but it wasn't mm-hmm. executed well. And they could have taken another episode to give to maybe arrive at the same place, but do it a little bit more a little bit more competent. It, it just becomes there's a little too much expedi- exposition for my taste to like explain what's going on, and it it's too much and in too little time, and that's why I don't think it's a it's it's not a perfect series for me, but I personally get a lot and love a lot from it. Uh, so, yeah, that that transition us really well into kind of that writing pacing portion, and I know we've all touched upon it already, but. To- to kind of, I guess, really open it up for, you know, um, you know, enjoy, have fun, say whatever you want about his writing and pacing in this, in this part. I, you know, not to repeat everything I, I just said, I think for me, the only character I liked was Ikari. Like Detective Ikari was the only character I really enjoyed for this in the sense that it grounded me to a reality and even in his own other world that he wanted these simpler times it was something i could at least relate to in in the sense of that desire for simplicity but also that understanding of you can't live in that world because he takes the quote-unquote bad at i think it's the last episode of the episode before the last and he smashes his own world to pieces to say like i can't live in this false reality I need to live in my in actual reality and what everything's going on. And again, that launches into Kaisukiko going through her own self-analysis. So I like him as a character. I don't think any of the other characters stand out. And I don't think what they did with... What was, what was the person with the um, psychological 
what was it dissociative personality disorder yeah oh I can't remember. uh the bipolar woman maria or, uh, uh, bipolar but uh, yeah right it's like maria and prostitute jekyll and hyde yeah, yeah. That, there we go. You mean the entirety of Perfect Blue condensed into twenty-two minutes? Yeah, yes. episode yes. episode three, three double lips. lips. Yeah, double yeah. lips. That's right. I don't think I. I think as a concept, that's fine to go down. I don't think it did justice to. It it, it felt very much using hey here's a psychological condition and we're just gonna play off of play off of that as the story piece and it's never really again touched upon later on. I she doesn't really show up actually anywhere else except maybe the second to last episode the last episode while other characters still intermittently appear and then to the filler point about the writing i'm not sure doc if when you had said filler it was happy family planning or the etc episode with the housewives talking to each other but i almost feel to andy's point you know if you had replaced those episodes out and you know use those episodes to not flesh out the the many conspiracy theories of what Lil Slugger Shonen Bat was, but to really dive deep more into that investigative piece and to kind of tie out those endings, I think maybe that would have been the way to get into it or to increase again the runtime. I think those were cool ideas to have and it did serve a purpose for the show's narrative. I just think where they were placed was a little weird and when i when i mean the show's narrative because i i can see doc giving me a weird weird side look i think it is more so the the themes of the show and the way the art style is being shown what it's trying to convey without conveying it it just fits in that same style of storytelling if that makes any sense but kind of opening it up elf anything uh else you want to touch on or really kind of ground your gears <laughs> Uh, yeah, your point about themes actually, I think, I think is rather fitting because I think the big problem with the show's writing is that it leans too heavily into its themes, but doesn't work enough to build up the characters and narratives that can carry those themes to their fruition. And, and then getting to Andy's point about the ending, I think that's why it feels so frustrating is because after between like episodes seven and eleven, where we have this just sort of really meandering narrative that has interesting themes and ideas. The whole suicide pact episode is like this weird dark comedy in the middle of this whole series, which oh, yeah. perhaps is to speak about how while everyone else is so obsessed with things like stuffed dogs, you have an old man. I, I think it's an implied he's a homosexual guy and a mm-hmm. schoolgirl trying to kill themselves in the middle of the woods, which people should be paying attention to but aren't. Like that whole idea and that whole theme that could have been better integrated into the story, but the show just gets so lost in exploring its ideas, it doesn't build the boat to go out exploring with. It it just decides to start swimming across the ocean trying to find some distant theme and just ends up drowning in the process. It's it's how do how do I even describe it? It's there's nothing more I can really say about the fact that. It's just a very disjointed show, and the further you get along in it, the more it starts to lose its own grip on what the story is it's trying to tell, until it finally figures it out in the last two episodes, but then you just get this whiplash effect of, oh, okay, we're no longer doing character vignettes, we're just going to solve the mystery right here and now, and we're just going to tell not show. Which is such a weird inversion for the show, because... For most of the rest of it, it was very much a show-don't-tell to an excessive degree, almost being, in my opinion, too abstract at times. And I think that's why its ending is as dissatisfying as it is. It just completely upends the tone and theme of the show in order to give you a, a kind of catharsis. But even then, what you get is just so dissatisfying. It's just a girl who's upset that she lied to her dad about her dog dying. Okay, you know, I, I've had I've had dogs die. I also had a dog who died getting run over by a car. But that I, I don't empathize with Sukiko. I don't. I, I didn't. I didn't feel anything with this show, and I think that's what leaves me so dissatisfied with it. Is that really none of the episodes, especially the ones towards the end that were really supposed to make that big impact, had any real effect on me. The only episode actually that really had. Any sort of emotional effect on me was actually, I think it's either three or four when it has to do with the two uh, schoolboys and the whole conspiracy theory about uh, the two. golden mm-hmm. shoe. Yeah. That's episode two. That was early on. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, Yuichi and two. Um, yeah, you, the student the episode council. with uh, the, cons- the theory that Yuichi is actually little slugger and the yep. way his life falls apart and his jealousy yeah. and his hatred towards uh, the fat kid in his class. 
Like, because, like, I, I had school experiences like that. I knew exactly the kind of emotions both those characters were going through, and I could understand exactly what was going on. I had a genuine emotional connection to that episode. But as the show went on, I just felt more and more distant and disinterested in everything that was happening. Which I think you, a large part of that has to do with the fact that its narrative just comes apart after episode seven or so. The way I would describe it is that it rushes to the finish line. And it, would, it abandons show, don't tell for exposition. And it, it does, but I then it call suffers it from it, it's well with t- it, the resolution to the story centers around Tsukiko, whose character the entire series has been withdrawn and her own emotional story that's going on inside her head doesn't get portrayed so well. And it ends up being the origins of little slugger. So you're it, it's it just felt like, oh, so her like you're suddenly you suddenly learn that. She actually, big spoiler, she actually creates Little Slugger Shonen Bat from a story she makes up to explain why her puppy that her father, like, went to, who who struggled to get it for her, dies. It, her, it gets run over by a car. She invents the story of a kid killing it with a bat instead of telling the truth that it got run over by a car. And apparently this has some huge impact that makes her withdrawn and shy or just very sort of not very emotive the rest of her life and that that just, they just throw that at you without you sort of being emotionally on the same page with Tsukiko's struggles but then and, it fast forwards two years at the very end it fast forwards like two years and it almost seems like oh she's quote-unquote normal or like like that that extra mascot character appears and it's kind of like the more cheery everyone is saying they hate dogs for a very specific reason of the show but then it's kind of like i don't is that supposed to mean that she's fixed every like that was the one only issue in her life that made her that way and like is that unfortunately yes and i don't think they earned that sort of resolution to make it convincing hmm yeah, and that's where I agree. I, I I disagree sort of in how I describe it being a rushed ending, in the sense that throughout the rest most of the show they aren't rushing anywhere towards a conclusion. It's only it almost feels as though they just came up against a deadline and realized, oh, gotta finish it now. Just slap something on at the well, end. M- maybe, I, I mean, yeah. I think we have different no, definitions. That, of that's, ru- that's we have like, different definitions of rush in that case. Yeah, I, I think I, maybe I it's, instead for. of the the concept of rushing to an ending, the the ending rushed to them. I like that, yeah. Mm. Okay. I like that too, It was yeah. the characters going, 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 and then BAM! Wall. Here's real world deadlines. End Fix it. it. Yeah, end it now. And like, what? okay! <laughs> so they just one, had to. Yeah, it was, I mean, one, it's the first TV, it's the first and sadly only TV show that uh, Satoshi Kun worked on, and there were reports of it, it, there was a crunch to get the shows done. It was the first time a lot of people were dealing with, what, like four hours of footage a week rather than like much fewer scenes because they're building a movie over a longer period of time. So I, I, I guess I'm more sympathetic to like the, the struggle, the new challenges they were facing. And it does show that they weren't handled as masterfully as maybe if it had been their second or third TV show. Then that whole entire, with that knowledge, that whole entire studio production episode of Maromi's anime mm-hmm. gets a real lot, it gets real dark real quick it on a much worse dark. level. Like, it's a dark episode to begin with, but then that, like, meta thought of, like, they face way worse things is, like, that, that's a whole different level of dark thought. That was an emotional ride for me, because I felt so bad for the dude at first, because he's, like, he's clearly incompetent and shouldn't be in the role he's in. And at, at first, I'm, like, sympathizing and feeling really bad for him. But then it turns out, oh, he's kind of an asshole. So mm-hmm. I, I don't feel so bad for him. But he's failing all these people who are relying on him and making the dumbest mistakes. Uh, that was uh, hard to watch for me. But before we move on to, to Doc, Elf, was there... Would you... And, and actually, no, this goes to the rest of the group, too. Do we feel as though you almost... I. And I think that's the going back to the reasons why I liked Ikaru is because I felt he was multifaceted. He had his wife, he had his job, he had all these different elements to him. Do you almost feel, and this question to anyone or all of you, that every other character is almost this one-dimensional character, that they have this one thing about their lives, they have this one dimension to them that is kind of what it is to varying degrees, or maybe two-dimensional, not three-dimensional? No, actually. I, I don't think so. I think a lot of the characters that we see 
are very dynamic in their in what little we see of them. Ikari just gets the most screen time, so we do see a little bit more dynamism yeah. with him. We see that he has a bit more of an outside life, and he has his own experiences and everything. But I, what I like about, especially the early episodes of the character vignettes, is that we do see a lot of very complex emotions in these characters, which gets to Andy's point about character vignettes, is that when done well, you can really get a good story out of them. Again, the story with the schoolboys, you immediately get a lot of complex emotions. The way that kids act, especially in the sense of competition with the student council election, the, and the way that, uh, what is it, uh, I want to say Ichi, that's not it entirely. Yuichi? I- Ichi, Yuichi is the, yeah. the main boy. Yeah. Yeah. Yuichi's yeah. emotions, the way he reacts to everything that happens to him, is is just a perfect encapsulation of those kind of complex emotions. Similarly, uh, prostitute Jekyll and Hyde. I'm awful with names because I did not. Oh, uh, I, yeah. so her name is Hiromi. Hiromi. Ha- no, Harumi. It's, sorry, Harumi. it's Harumi. Harumi. Which Harumi. is annoyingly similar to Maromi. So. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, Harumi. Just again, put all names in a blender and make them similar. <laughs> Very interesting story with a very dynamic character because you've already got a psychological disorder you can play with and you can instantly flesh that out into an interesting story. And uh, Dur- Deadbeat Dad, or sh- should I say Dirtbag Dad? Dirtbag Dad, dirt bag much bag better. Dad, yeah. Wow, that was... That, that was, got that so was, dark. That went that zero got, to a hundred so fucking quick. I got so uncomfortable. I thought it was just going to be like his episode and then it got to the dark and I'm like, oh no. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Dynamic and interesting. So I don't think it's a problem necessarily with the characters being flat. My per- my favorite character person was actually Mariwa, because I, I just like the whole theme of getting into madness in order to combat madness. Mm. Mine was great. So, Radio Man it, for it, Life. Yeah. So he was definitely my favorite character, because again, he is dynamic. He recognizes very early on, we have to start thinking irrationally about what is causing this, and it takes Ikari much longer to realize that. So that's personally why I liked Mario. Why he was actually very perceptive, and I empathized with him because I I realized very early on, huh, this guy seems to know that this isn't the kind of thing that Ikari is used to dealing with. So he probably has the right idea. So no, I, I wouldn't say that a lot of the rest of the cast is flat. I would say that compared to Ikari, they don't have as much development. But no, I'd say all the characters or all the main characters you see in their little vignette episodes get a lot of action and get a lot of development. The bigger problem with them, of course, is just the writing that surrounds them and the broader narrative they fit into isn't strong enough to really make that make those emotions or make those actions really pop and stand out and actually really drive home and be interesting. Doc, your thoughts on the I know there were a lot of questions. There were a lot of different things there, but um, just just the writing as a whole, world logic, favorite character, least favorite. I think uh, Andy Delph have touched on a lot of the big points here, so I'm not going to go about repeating them. I, I basically agree with just about everything that they've been going over. I'll just add on to a bit about the characters and why they are... They're not quite flat, but they, neither are they robust. And a lot of that comes with the fact that I felt that these characters, every single one of them, felt like pieces being moved on a board. In yes. their individual moments, whenever you go and you pick up that piece and you inspect it during their character vignettes, which, I will agree, are excellent, and when vignettes are done right and well, they can be, it can make or break shows. And typically, they make them. When you pick up that piece, you begin to inspect it, that you get into their heads, you get to see those very uh, intense expressions, those emotions, you get to understand them. But the problem is, you can't hold on to that piece for very long. You've got to put it back down. You've got to pick up another one. You've got to move it to its correct spot. Because you've only got so many turns before your game ends. So you need to move those pieces wisely. And I think that serves as an unfortunate detriment to the show. I, I, I can, I can empathize, empathize with, you know, deadlines. And the fact that this show needs to be done by X time. I almost wish that there were more than just one or two episodes. Not too much, too many more, because I think a 24-episode show would have just drowned the viewer. But, like 16. You know, yeah, I think 16 would have been a, would be really nice, because then we could see more about how these characters develop. Just to go off of, you know, else point on the two schoolboys, I, too, greatly enjoyed 
that brief episode and a half where you get to get into these boys' heads. Because I was there. I was both of those. So I, I could I could really understand their emotive states. But then they're gone. They are gone, said and done, never to be seen again. They don't even get a resolution at the end. They're not even shown in the, pa- in the like, last five minutes. Same with, what is it, Hanawa? Which, the, which character? The Har- double lips. Harumi? Oh, Harumi. Ha- Harumi, that's it, thank you. Too many names. Would have loved to see more of that. More about how you know this split personality handles when the rest of society is tearing itself apart. There is one brief moment, I think, at an end credit, at end episode C, on episode 12, where she is back in her alter ego in the same room as her husband. What happens? What? H- how does that go down? How does the interaction go down? You know, does she stay that way? Does she change? What does the husband do? What do the people around her do? Nothing. Zero. No resolution. The piece is off the board. That was so frustrating to me. The mm-hmm. fact that we start out with this really beautiful tapestry of characters and we end with two. I, ca- I could not get over just how frustrated that made me feel. Because these characters were good. They had potential. I think, well, except maybe the main character, Suko. I. I- wasn't a big fan of her character. The fact that she was dangled as the main character, then put on the ba- on the top shelf, just left there to stew until she was needed. That wasn't happy with that. So, timing was a problem. Characters were good, but they were discarded once they weren't needed. Maniwo is best boy. <laughs> That's all it is. Andy, your thoughts on the the writing and I guess any of the other uh, questions that came out of the conversation and I guess if there was a favorite character in there, um, you know, who, who, was, who was it? Was it Best Boy Maniwa? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think I'm mostly in agreement that because of uh, the in-media res nature of these character vignettes, there's sort of an underdeveloped feeling for the majority of characters presented in the series. But because the detectives Manua and Ikari, we, we see them at the start of their journey, the, of their investigation, it feels like we have a more complete emotional and narrative arc with these characters. Um, my favorite character was, I think, for the same reasons as you, Xander, Ikari. I, I, felt, I felt the most connected to him. I really sympathize with his... Uh, you know, his work ethic to take care of his wife, to keep on going, his sort of jaded sense of the way things are in in his career. Again, a few more episodes, less rush less rush storytelling at the end for to like explain everything that was going on. It it, it almost tra- it like transitions from like a psychological thriller slash random character pieces to a mystery and then almost a horror a, a, a horror a horror series at the end and to be all over the place like that it's hard to tell to you know produce a satisfying and coherent work in only 13 episodes that's fair um in terms of influence i think you could go people have written theses on satoshi Kon's work on you know, dissecting every single interview Tetrakon ever gave, dissecting every little scene and every piece of work. So I think to say that Satoshi Kon's works as a whole stand up as part of the legacy of anime uh, would be fair to say. As far as Paranoia Agent goes, I think it almost, because so much time has passed at the time of recording, I think it is going more and more into that hidden gem category of this is something very niche but and it is a very old anime in terms of this capsule in time just like perfect blue is you may like it you may not but it is there in that niche treasure trove if you want it 
Um, in terms of overall success, surprisingly, imbd.com has the show rated as an 8.1 overall rating, and my anime list has a 7.69 rating, which is actually the the most difference we've we've seen so far in terms of those two ratings. Normally, they are a lot closer. Um, finally, I guess just to wrap things up, favorite moments. Did anyone have a specific favorite moment? in the entire show for me i think it was that the framing of little slugger just when he's talking to ikari's wife i can't i cannot remember her name for the life of me but how little slugger kind of you know would be there take a swing calm down grow take a swing but not actually hit the wife and the wife is just talking through her emotions and that kind of juxtaposition of the two of this calm calm serenity but also showing despair and then kind of going and moving through all those emotions represented by little slugger internally i really enjoyed personally but elf any particular favorite moment the entire world is going to end because of a freaking puppy best line of the entire show (laughs) best scene bar none move on (laughs) <laughs> Doc, <laughs> uh, I won't disagree. That is an excellent scene, hundred uh, percent. I would say the one besides that one that stuck out the like to me um, would be the episode where the the ladies are rumor mongering about Shonen Bat, and you have the newcomer who's trying to make up stories like they are, but they're like, no, 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 no. That's not how you make up <laughs> stories. You make it up like this. And then she go. the woman dejected goes home to find her husband, a screenwriter, beaten half to death on the floor. And instead of calling an ambulance, she goes, how did he attack you? Tell me how he attacked you. And I'm like, ah. Priorities. Priorities. Hey, it's both a poignant scene as to how the desire to, you know, make rumors and make up stories to fit in is damaging, but also it's just hilarious. <laughs> Where it shouldn't have been. It should have been very serious, but I could not help but like, <laughs> that's a little amusing. Oh, there's something wrong with me. <laughs> Andy, what was your favorite moment? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, God, I don't... Or if you have one, I mean... Yeah, There's I know. N- no particular moment stood out to me, but the episode uh, "Happy Fam- Family Planning" episode eight, mm-hmm. I thoroughly enjoyed how dark and yet cheerful the tone was. It's a, a group of three people who randomly met on an internet forum, meet up in real life to commit suicide together. One's a little schoolgirl, the other's a uh, an, an older man who it it suggested his uh male partner passed away and the other is an old man and they all try and go through different ways of killing each other failing each time or changing their mind about the approach and what's emotionally captivating for me is like all these people want to die but in their process of trying to all die together they develop an emotional connection to each other that I think was what that's what was missing in their lives that probably led them to be seeking suicide. And it's almost like they, they solved the problem that they had in their lives by being with each other and, you know, providing that human contact, which was missing the fact that they're, they're trying to freaking kill themselves and they're just uh, nonchalantly going about, well, maybe we should hang each other, or maybe we should jump in front of the train. But then someone jumps before them to commit suicide. They see what the end result looks like, and they're like, uh, okay, maybe maybe something else. Like, that is just so darkly absurd and It was a beautiful dark comedy. Yeah, it's a dark, it's, it's a black comedy, yeah. Which I'm pretty sure, so, the two interesting facts about that episode, one being I'm pretty sure the scene in the forest when they try to hang themselves... I think in the UK version, that actually got cut out. It was either in the UK or when it was airing on Toonami. Like, they actually cut out that, like, minute or whatever of the episode when it broadcast. And then, two, they don't have shadows after the first couple scenes. So, I forgot what death attempt it is, but I'm pretty sure they succeed. But they find their peace in the afterlife? I think that's what it is. I didn't notice that. 
I didn't I, notice that either. I read a, I read a summary somewhere, and I was and I couldn't I didn't have time to actually go read it, but they were saying how it was basically the first couple scenes only two of them have shadows, and then after that none of them have shadows throughout the rest of the episode. I think that's what it was. I can't remember. Again, I can't remember looking back on the episode, but that would be something to go look at more detail. I don't detail. know. And now I need to watch it again. <laughs> yeah. There we go. All right. Well, if I'm going to have to watch one of these episodes again, I would prefer it to be that one. That was a very good episode. Happy family planning, everyone. Yeah. And now we move on to our final segment, the final verdict. Here on the podcast, we have a rating scale for our final verdict. One to four out of ten means skip the anime. Five to seven out of ten means give it a shot. 8 to 10 out of 10 is a must-watch. You absolutely have to go see it. I'm not going to repeat everything we said on this podcast because that will take way too much time. Um, I think this show is something that Satoshi Kon fans would really should definitely watch. I think it has passed the cultural zeitgeist of what might be must-watch anime. Like, I would rather someone go watch Perfect Blue that or say, Millennium Actress, um, Tokyo Godfathers, then this series, if I had to kind of say, like, you have five anime, you need to go see X, Y, and Z, I would point them to one of the films rather than this series. So, for me, overall, that and my other feelings already stated, I will give this anime a 5.5 out of 10. Elf? Earlier, you referred to how this show is getting to the point of being a hidden gem of sorts, to which I would agree, but instead of a hidden gem, I would call it fool's gold. I think the show sustains itself too much on Satoshi Kon's own reputation, and that is, or I should say, that can obscure its actual quality. I think the show was, quite frankly, rushed, lazily written, and doesn't really live up to the reputation that Satoshi Kon's other works might have set for it. I think there are competently executed ideas and characters and scenes within the show, but as a as an entire work of art, as I said in the beginning, it's it just comes across as a kind of pseudo intellectual artistic wank. My final verdict is a five out of ten. If you're really really interested and you love Satoshi Kon, maybe you'll like it. If not, you're probably not going to enjoy it, and I would say stay away. Duck. Paranoia Agent suffers greatly from the magnum opus that is Perfect Blue. The fact that I saw Perfect Blue before this, I think, set my expectations for Satoshi Kon work so high that I don't know anything else he made could could encapsulate. I could be wrong, there's plenty more Kon for me to watch, but for Paranoia Agent, it was an unfortunate letdown. This is not to say that you should ignore this. I think for Cone fans and for those interested in what Cone represents, I think you should check this out. This is a show that has hidden gems within it, but it itself, I wish it had more polish so we could hold it up to that high expectation. Good, not great. Check it out if you're interested. Final verdict, 6 out of 10. That is my final prescription. And finally, Andy, your final verdict. So, uh, you know, Paranoia Agent is a psychological thriller mystery about a paranoid girl's Hello Kitty surrogate transforming into a paranormal nightmare that rescues cornered people from their problems through violence, all while being fueled by the populace's collective unconscious fear and anxiety. How many stories have you experienced like that? It's entirely unique, it's absurd, and it's one of the things that you're only going to really find in anime. Um, It's very much, the story as a whole is very much a critique of the otaku, well, the escapist aspect of otaku culture, which has been done quite a few times in anime, but I think is pretty interesting, and it was interesting to see Satoshi Kon's approach to this message. as a whole, I would describe the show as having inconsistent substance, but consistent style. And if you're in love with Satoshi Kon's style, then it's, I think it's a, much wa- a must watch. It does not stick the landing at the end. Um, it, for me, the story is rushed. They try to explain, 
all the mysteries at the end when maybe they didn't have to or they could have used more episodes to do it more elegantly. I'm giving it a 7.5. I think as a work of animation and style, it's very solid, but narratively it falls flat in quite a few respects. I think it I think it falls flat because it was their first animated animated series and it was trying to throw together a bunch of interesting ideas while um maybe not having enough time to coherently string them together. Uh but yeah, seven point five is my final score. Uh yeah. I, I am a shameless Satoshi Kon fanboy after all. And for those of you listening at home, and yes, surprisingly, this math does work out well. It is a 6 out of 10, so it falls in that range of 5 to 7 out of 10, so to give it a shot, again, as we've all kind of mentioned, if you love Satoshi Kon, it is a must-watch probably for you. For those of us who might not, then it is definitely still in the range of give it a shot. This has been the Postgrad Anime Club Podcast with Elf, See ya. Doc, I'll see you next time. And Andy. See ya. That was our review of Paranoia Agent. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please stay tuned for future episodes. I've been your host, Xander, signing off.